it's a complete and utter thrill. I mean, I would arm wrestle anyone that my job is the best job in the world. Hello and welcome to the new Country Life podcast. Country Life has been celebrating the best things about life in Britain since 1897, originally in print, then online and on social media, and now as a podcast. I'm James Fisher, your host, and each week we'll be bringing you stories, interviews and expert advice from our contributors, our staff and the countryside at large. Ranging from our homes and what's inside them to gardens and the rural community, this will be the podcast that gives the countryside and its people a voice. But to kick things off, we thought we'd glimpse behind the curtain of country life by speaking to the magazine's editor, Mark Hedges. Mark has been in charge of the magazine for 17 successful years, bucking the trend of the publishing industry with an ever-increasing circulation. He's done everything from writing about fishing to hobnobbing with members of the royal family, several of whom he's persuaded to guest edit the magazine, including the King and Queen. Mark has won every award going in publishing in an enormously successful career, and he also just happens to be my boss, which is something you might just pick up on right from the start of our conversation. I've got a very special, important, handsome and intelligent guest with me this week, the editor of Country Life, Mr. Mark Hedges. Hello, Mark. Uh, morning, James. Um, you clearly work for me because nobody else has ever been that flattering before. It's important to uh, always keep on the right side of those who sign the checks. Uh, it's very exciting for you to be here today, Mark. Did you know that it was almost exactly seven years ago today that I first started working at Country Life? Uh, and with that in mind, would you like to tell me about your first day as editor of the magazine? Well, I didn't know it was seven years. Um, it's amazing how uh, time flies. It shows uh, what a great job you've been doing. My first day, uh, which was back in 2006, uh, I I got the job uh, and I was incredibly nervous the first day that um, I became editor of Country Life. It's something I'd always really wanted to do. And sometimes uh, it's, it's rather unusual when you end up doing what you really, really want to do. My first day, I, I saw everyone in the office and I had a sort of group meeting and told them about some of the ideas uh, that I had for the magazine. I'd been editor-in-chief of 50 magazines previous to that, uh, including Country Life, but I didn't really have the authority really to do very much with it. And some of them looked slightly aghast at what I was suggesting, uh, but I felt it was a magazine that we needed to move forward. But more interesting than the staff meeting was that there'd been this sort of strange tradition, which I didn't know about, that whenever you became editor of Country Life, you were invited to Chatsworth in Derbyshire for to go and stay and so after the meeting I caught the train up to Derbyshire was collected by the uh, Rolls Royce of the house and taken to Britain's I think probably greatest country house uh, to meet the Duke and Duchess of Devonshire and, and Debo uh, was still alive and we I spent the evening there talked about chickens with the great Deborah uh -huh. Devonshire and then um uh, we had a, a splendid supper and then we retired to bed. Uh, I was slightly, I was kept awake by this separate, clock. Separate beds, I hope, yes. Separate beds. Yeah, no, very much so. Very much so. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, and uh, I went to bed. There was this clock ticking 
and you lie there for a bit and then you lie there for a bit longer and I just thought I have to stop this clock and uh, eventually I sort of stuck my hand into the pendulum and stopped it and thought in the morning I would just swing it again and it would start up but of course Mm -hmm. in the morning it wouldn't start so I had to go down to breakfast and confess to uh, the duke that I had uh, uh, broken some great heirloom of uh, yeah. Chatsworth. Anyway, it was fixed, as far as I understand. Uh, not not too not too much drama, but it was it was a fairly intense first day. Um, it's been fairly intense ever since, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of interesting. You you sort of think, oh, I've broken something absolutely priceless. You know, how will I ever ever manage to uh, sort of redeem myself? But it's probably just a giant cupboard around the back of the house where they've got twenty more of those clocks. And they just push out a new <laughs> well, one, and it's all sorted. It was extraordinary. After dinner, we were each given a torch and we spread around the house looking for secret secret passages that um, hadn't Uh yet been discovered. And it seemed rather remarkable to me that despite them living there for so long, that there still could be hidden things within this great house. Very exciting. I used to uh, spend some time running around the corridors of country houses after dark uh, when I was a teenager, but that's a story for a different time, I think. Um, Speaking of uh, younger days, what are your earliest memories of the countryside? Well, I I grew up um, in the Cotswolds just outside Chipping Norton, and uh, back in those days, the Cotswolds was all about horses and we were not a horsey family, but it was sort of obligatory to uh, get a pony. And so I had a pony when I was very young. And my father used to, uh, on the leading rein, sort of take me around the, the local lanes. And uh, eventually he decided that he needed to get his own horse so that uh, we could go a bit faster. And we became slowly but surely part of the sort of countryside set up there. My mother has always been uh, brilliant at knowing all the names of all the wildflowers. And so I sort of grew up uh, knowing the difference between sort of what an oxide daisy was and what was uh, all sorts of different wildflowers. So I had it sort of, it was sort of subliminally uh, inside me. And I've always loved it hugely. I find great solace in the countryside. I am a country boy. Uh, we there was lots yeah. of farm animals. We had chickens and we had geese and we had ducks and we had turkeys and sheep and cattle and so there was uh, my father who was uh, very successful in the helicopter industry, but really wanted to be a hobby farmer. And yeah. we learned a great deal. I learned a great deal from sort of dealing with animals and and the fact that. Uh, animals need looking after and sometimes they you know they go off to uh, the slaughterhouse and sometimes they unfortunately just die and it was a a very sort of real childhood yeah it's important to remember that the countryside is it is a very real place I had a uh, had a chat with the new head of the CLA just the other day who uh, basically made the point that, you know, it's important for people to realise that the countryside is not a museum, you know, as much as it is important to celebrate that uh, aesthetic, it is actually a workplace where things happen and lives are lived and it's not all just skipping through meadows and patting cows on the back and that kind of thing. I remember when I first joined, we had a conversation where you told me that the sort of the English or the the British have an 
unnatural obsession towards the countryside. Would you be able to explain that a bit? Yeah, no, it was it was very interesting. When I soon after I became editor, I was invited to the um, Japanese embassy to meet the ambassador. And what we had, he had really one question for me: is that why do people in Britain want to live in the countryside? And did the government um, help contribute to people living in the countryside? And hmm. I was rather astonished by the question because naively i just thought that was what people wanted to do in all countries and i then sort of did a bit of work around it and and realized that there is something quite unusual unique even about britain in that uh if you are successful the journey that it takes you on is invariably not always to want to have a house in the countryside and then it's an interesting to ask why is that uh, people in in France, for instance, who live in the countryside, they yearn to move to Paris. In fact, you might even say that the only people who want to live in the French countryside mm. are the British. Uh, the, yeah. the, the, and so it becomes an interesting question is what is our obsession about the countryside? And I think there's a number of reasons for it. I think um, we were... Uh, led to some extent by the royal family who obviously bought Balmoral in Scotland and created the whole kind of, uh, with Prince Albert and Victoria, created the whole myth of Christmas and everything like that. Uh, they yeah. then later bought Sandringham in Norfolk, which was largely to uh, keep the future Edward VII away from the flesh pots of London. But they lived in the countryside and they were very, very keen on all things countryside. And the royal family was enormously influenced by that. I think there are other things that play into it in that most of, most of our great literature is written by people who lived in the countryside. You know, if you think about the uh, the Brontes, you know you're in Yorkshire. If you think about uh, Austin, you know where you are. If you think about Hardy, you're in Wessex. If you think about Demoria in the West Country and uh, almost without doubt, the, the greatest writer in the English language, Shakespeare, is one of the great naturalists as well. So the countryside is part of our literature, is part of uh, our royal family. It is being used hugely in propaganda, especially in the world wars, to get people to fight for the countryside, probably, quite possibly with people who've never even been or seen it. it uh, and the other thing that I think is interesting, I mean, uh, I went to Durham and my degree is in geology and Britain yeah. is fascinating because it lies on the edge of a continent, which if you're on the edge, it means that you get pulled and squished and uh, more than bits in the middle of a continent. And so if you drive in any direction in Britain for 100 miles, you get a completely different uh, aspect. So I live in Hampshire. If I go west, I end up in the great granite moors of uh, the West Country if I drive east, I go end up in the Weald and, uh, you know, the houses are all different. They're made out of wattle and daub. You drive north, you're in the Cotswolds, drive a bit further north, you're then in Derbyshire and that's different. Get up to Yorkshire, it's all the millstone grit. So it's a very varied countryside. So it's much more... Uh, it's it's much more precious in some ways because it's so different and each each place has its own vernacular. 
And I think yeah. we are, you know, we're very keen on it. And, you know, if I meet a taxi driver and we get chat and he says, what do you do? He said, oh, you know, I'd always like to live in the countryside. Well, she would say, I'd always like to live in the countryside. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely, uh, you know, it seems to be the, the goal, even among my friends who I might consider to be hip and trendy. You know, there is there is a sort of determination of one day to get out of London, get a bit of space and and uh, you know, enjoy the great vista that this country has to offer. I want to just go back to your uh, point about the royal family um, creating the myth of Christmas. For our listeners under 10, uh, Christmas is not a myth, and Santa Claus is very much real. But more uh, about the, ro- uh, the role of the royals in celebrating the countryside, because I think we are probably one of the only magazines, if not the only magazine, to have ever been edited by a king a queen a prince etc would you like to talk to us about how you decided one day to uh, just ask the prince of wales if he fancied having a go at your job <laughs> um i i went to uh in 2012 it was uh one of the jubilees for the queen the late queen and there yeah. was a party at buckingham palace and i went along there uh, I, I was well aware that um, I had been told that there was a country life in every royal palace and I knew that they were extremely uh, fond of the magazine. And you get, if you're lucky enough, you get, when you go to these sort of things, you get a red sticker on your label, on your name label, which means that you are allowed to go um, to talk to a higher member of the royal family. And I had one of these precious red stickers. So I found uh-huh. myself uh, in a little group talking with the then Prince of Wales, the King now. And I just suddenly thought I've got to ask him whether he would guest said at the magazine. And uh, he looked at me and uh, I think um, the protocol is that you never say yes immediately. But he sort of said that's a very interesting idea. And two weeks later, uh yeah. he decided that he would uh guest edit the magazine and it, it is you're tr- absolutely correct james no other magazine has ever been guest edited by a senior member of the royal family what was even more remarkable was that um this was on his 65th birthday he guest edited and he said he was doing it as a present for himself uh yeah. and it was about his sort of passions and interests and then on his 70th birthday he he did it again, which I think is possibly the greatest tribute to country life in that uh, our values of uh, truth and honesty meant that he could trust us to go back and do do it again. Um, his sister, the Princess Royal, um, also guest edited the magazine. And uh, last year, the uh, uh, Queen Camilla, uh, mm. the Duchess of Cornwall, as she was at the time, uh, also guest edited the magazine and uh, we managed to also produce a program on ITV uh, about yeah. her guest editing it which was it was a huge huge success all of them have been uh, three of them have been the biggest selling issues of our very long 126 year history yeah I love the idea that you know uh, the then Prince of Wales decided to guest edit his uh, favorite magazine as a present to himself, you know, for two reasons. One, that's not traditionally uh, what one would define as a present to oneself. Like I buy myself a nice, a nice jumper or something if, you know, every Christmas. <laughs> but also, you know, I like I like the idea that you know a long time ago the senior member of the royal family was practicing self care. You know, I think that's 
that's something we should all do a bit more of, you know, maybe it's feeling a bit down and decided, you know what, I'm going to edit country life. That'll cheer me up a bit. So, you know, well, props, it, it, props to him. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great that he did it. I mean, it was slightly disappointing having uh, edited nearly 800 issues that he should have one go yeah. and outsell anything I'd done. But um, uh, I can I can live with that. And, uh, you know, I'm delighted. You know, it's fantastic that we have this uh, special relationship with the royal family. What's your, just a few more sort of questions about your uh, experiences of the countryside. What's your favourite season of the year? Well, that's a good question. It used to be autumn. Um, I used to love uh, when I, as I said earlier, sort of when I had, uh, used to ride a lot. I used to like the freedom of going across the sort of stubble fields and things like that. But unquestionably now it is spring. I find the sort of, uh, the regeneration, uh, the resurrection of life, sort of in a way that sounds a bit over glamorous, but um, it, it's just amazing. I, you know, when the first snowdrops come up in early January and it's all going to happen again, uh, it, it yeah. is a miracle. And I do think the green of spring, the sort of the chlorophyll when it all bursts into the leaves, is quite, quite astonishing. And it makes me very busy with my vegetable garden as well. You've just been restoring, renovating a house in the countryside. And you talk a lot in the magazine about your sort of, not necessarily newfound passion for gardening, but how you're sort of redoing a garden. Do you think that's helped influence your love of spring now that you sort of see the the fruits of your labours, so to speak? Well, everything happens in spring. Uh, You know, there is all the growth, all the new growth. You know, I have planted, I made a bit of a mistake. It was very easy online ordering bulbs. And I kept going, yeah. oh, yes, I have 200 of those Narcissi and I have 400 of those um, Camassias and whatever. What I hadn't quite worked out is actually I was going to have to plant them. Um, so I had about 2,000 bulbs to plant uh, recently. And uh, it was hard work. Uh, but in the spring, hopefully, uh, the fruits yeah. of all those labors will will be amazing and i think i do think that spring is very precious there's a you know there's a lovely lovely line that somebody wrote which is you know how many more springs have each of us got i think spring is yeah. the, the the most precious time yeah well hopefully the answer to that question is quite a lot because uh, i've got certainly a few things i need to be getting on with yeah, and no, I'm not lucky enough to uh, have any bulbs, but I do like getting the pressure washer out on the 1st of May and uh, sort of cleaning all my flagstones in my garden. And that's very much a sort of uh, personal thing for me that I, I very much enjoy doing each year that I'm sure really upsets the neighbours, but they'll just have to cope. Um, so that would, I, I don't know, come as my answer for favourite countryside pastime, uh, pressure washing, as you can tell, I'm a very uh, fun person to have around at parties. Uh, what's your favourite countryside pastime? Uh, fishing, undoubtedly fishing. Um, that is my great sort of passion na- nowadays because I I live in Hampshire, so we have the, the famous sort of chalk streams, the Itchen and the Test. And I can quite often, I, I, I'm a syndicate member of a, um, a nice place on the Itchen and I can go down there. I find it so tranquil. Sometimes I don't actually even put my rod together. I just find uh, the piece. It's quite busy editing yeah. a weekly magazine, and sometimes just finding a bit of nothing and losing a bit of track of time 
which fishing does and you know is is certainly in my case it's called fishing rather than catching <laughs> yeah, no, I know I know the feeling it's it's interesting there's a certain uh, this is not exactly a uh, revolutionary take but there's a certain something about the sound of moving water I mean I, I, I shudder to use the word silence but it's almost like a consistency of sound that helps the mind relax in an almost a sort of meditative way that makes fishing so special you know when my experiences of fishing have been you know I'm very lucky to have caught salmon on great rivers in the in the north of Scotland and you know trout in the south of England but it's almost in a way been a secondary component of the activity I I just quite like standing in a river hearing nothing but the occasional bird and just the sound of water moving over rocks it's that sort of consistent sound of of nature that just focuses the mind in a way that I find so yeah and it's also the it's the the insect life and the roe deer coming down to have a drink and uh and pretending that you can't get reception even if you could on the river so nobody can ring you and ask you anything so i i do find um i do find fishing a, a a very therapeutic thing my my wife is a therapist um who's very keen on all of those sorts of things. The closest I think I get is when I'm fishing. Does she ever sort of uh, make a prescription for you to go fishing? Is that something that you think you could? Uh, I, th- I think when she starts saying it's about time you went fishing, I, n- I know that uh, I probably become unbearable. So uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a hidden agenda. <laughs> right. So sort of last question on all things pastoral. If you were the king of the countryside for one day, what would you do? What would be your great contribution to rural Britain? I think I would, uh, it's probably more politic than just the king, but I think I would try and encourage more mixed farms. I think the the mixed farm, which has been lost, we've we've got bigger and bigger uh huge farms now or they are uh, all managed by contractors that's all fine it's absolutely uh-huh. vital that uh, we we get food but actually for the environment the mixed farm is very very precious uh, it uh, it allows for a greater biodiversity than hmm. sort of uh, huge arable farms and i think it's also important that um, it adds something to people who aren't farmers at all because it's more picturesque to see animals in fields next to yeah. a wheat field. I think what isn't really understood is what the, the we touched on it just a couple of minutes ago, but what the countryside does for all of the nation's mental health. I mean, there are no, I think there's a, you know, there's a million or two people who go to the Lake District yeah. uh, every year. A number of them probably can go to work on Monday because they found some sort of solace in the countryside from what it's given, and that's really valuable. There isn't any; you can't yeah. measure it, but it's something that uh, we should always appreciate. Um, so let's turn to country life with a capital C and a capital L. When did you sort of first become? aware of the magazine as a sort of young boy teenager young adult well i i think it's always sort of been around um yeah i my the the house that my parents bought 
in the Cotswolds was advertised in Country Life. And um, the, they bought this place, which is was quite a large Georgian house, um, subsequently being lived in by um, Jeremy Clarkson to give, it was his yeah. house before the one he lives in at the moment. So it was quite a big house. Amazingly, they bought it for £25,000. Uh, I suppose yeah. I was... Uh, how old would I have been? I was, I would have been about ten, so it's about forty years ago, and yeah. uh, no, fifty years ago. And I think, I think, country life had started to appear in my mind. Then the frontispiece was always something that you knew about, and yeah. I, I became, you know, it was always there. Um, it wasn't, you know, I was never meant to be a journalist or an editor. You know, I was meant to be a scientist, really. And so yeah. it wasn't really my direction that I was aiming at. Uh, then I sort of started doing journalism. And it was quite clear that there was one great magazine around the countryside. In fact, one of the great magazines of Britain. And it was Country yeah. Life. And obviously, I sort of I had, a, you know, I was successful. I wouldn't have got to edit the magazine eventually anyway if I hadn't been successful. And it was always something I sort of rather wanted to do. But obviously, there can only be one editor at a time. You know, I've edited it for 18 years. There's been a lot of prime ministers in that time. Uh, it, it, I, think I, I think I'm sort of the second or third longest serving editor of Country Life. And yeah. it's something that you, you know, you might wish for, but you can't, hope for or you can hope for but you, you know you can't make it happen and it's a complete and utter thrill i mean i would arm wrestle anyone that i ha that my job is the best job in the world uh and how many of those arm wrestles do you think you would win how are the how is the gym routine going these days uh it's not quite james it's not quite what it once <laughs> was actually um uh i'm i'm enough. i'm not i'm not the uh the svelte uh, man that of my youth but um is, you know, there's a tremendous amount of lunches you have to eat at country life yes no i mean they do they do say it is a it is a tough gig they do say that um thinking <laughs> about the back of the magazine on the on the spine we have a, a phrase which i like to think describes us very well which is the voice of the countryside well would you be able to tell us what that means um yeah and i mean it was one of those things that we didn't have anything like that uh and I came up with it a long time ago. I think what it what it is is that we have we have, for instance, no politics. Uh, we're only interested in the best politics for the countryside. But more yeah. we don't really even do politics. We sort of kind of ignored Brexit and um, uh, we, you know, famously they rather ignored the Second World War because the 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 sense was that we should be remorselessly positive um that was something that uh, simon jenkins said in a recent article he wrote about country life you know it's one of the few serious magazines in britain that is always positive and there's so much wonder and wondrous things in the countryside and that's really yeah. where our efforts go into i think at the moment you know we have our news coverage is uh, has gone from being full-on about ukraine to full-on about gaza uh, which are completely out of my remit and I don't understand how there can be so much hate in the world. But Country Life is not really engaged in any of that. It's just about celebrating the glories of this really remarkable country uh, yeah. that 
you know, benefits from not being invaded for a thousand years and has grown up oh, organically to, to be what it there. is. I will have to I will have to stop you there, Mark, because just last weekend I was in the Isle of Sheppey and actually the Dutch did briefly invade a small part of the Isle of Sheppey in I think it was the sixteenth century. So I will have to sort of call you as a point of well, order. I there. sound corrected. I don't think they stayed very long. <laughs> I think they literally planted a flag, took a <laughs> took a picture or an oil painting, and uh, and then promptly went home again. Um, so, what does what does country life mean to its readership? I mean, we we've discussed that the now King of England uh, is a big fan and has one, I'm sure, in, in his many houses. But it's not just content for the king, is it? It's it's content for everyone. Yeah, no, I think that's the that's the root of its success. I mean, it's the only magazine, certainly in Britain, possibly even in the world, that has uh, had this huge run of increasing its sales. And uh, it's for 17 years, it increased its sales year on year, which most magazines, sadly, are not doing so well. The reason behind it is that the countryside is enormously popular, and I think we have done a good job uh, in helping people understand it more, the country, the, the politicians are light years behind uh, what's actually going on. You have you have a TV program, Country File, which many weeks has more viewers than EastEnders. You have Country Life, yeah. which has been the most successful magazine in Britain for a very long time, and you also have the National Trust which is the biggest membership organization with something extraordinary like 6 million members, which is really all about sort of people going out in the countryside, you know, walking their dogs, of course, the great houses as well. So the countryside is enormously more popular than the uh, the number of votes it has in terms of people who can yeah. vote in, in it. So, yeah, no, the countryside is 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 truly truly part of the feeling of being British. And country life is, would you say, a sort of great conduit for showing why that is, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, you know, it's a very eclectic mix of our um, yeah. of our features. Uh, there, are, there are some things that have almost been there since its inception. You know, there is, it starts every week with a frontispiece, there is always the architecture of the uh, the great and not so great houses of Britain. There mm-hmm. is always a garden, um, and it finishes with uh, the f- sort of quite well known tottering by gently cartoon. But in between, there is an enormous mix of things which could be uh, Beatrix Potter. It could be about bats. It could be about um, how to. Uh, tidy up your greenhouse it's it's a toast, huge variety toast. toast yeah i know toast is uh that's the big yeah um is is fascinating actually toast because uh <laughs> everyone likes it in a different way i mean some people you know it goes from the the warm bread buttered to yeah something that uh is so dry but everyone you know sort of more like melbourne toast everyone likes it differently and so yeah we just done a rather fun article on toast and it's all meant, you know. It is a bit of fun. I don't know if toast is particularly about the countryside, apart from that's where the raw ingredients come from. But it, yeah. it's it's all it's all it's a lucky dip, you know. I I take the view that if you are not particularly keen on this 
this article on Revilius, the great artist. Uh, maybe you'll like yeah. the next one that will be on uh, gingerbread houses. Uh, and yes. you know, we we have uh, we have we're in the entertainment business. It's a weekly magazine, and the truth is, as the editor, you you're putting a show on, and you need somebody to come back next week and have another look at it. And so it's really important to entertain. And if I ask you the question, what's your favourite feature you've ever run in country life? Would something spring to mind? Other than toast, golly. Um Golly, I, I think it probably would have been very early on, I ran an article on Border Terriers, and yeah. the previous editor had avoided dogs um, for reasons I don't know. Um, and I thought, you know, people who live in the country, people who read country life, you know, a lot of them, I know you have a cat and that's um, your your problem. But the um, yeah. I, I just thought lots of people like dogs. And we ran this. We ran this article on border terriers. I'd had border terriers when I was a boy, so um, a bit of bias. And it just took off. Everyone wanted, you know, dogs. And so I ended up with this sort of, I used to have this sort of saying, uh, which is paraphrasing uh, John Getty, which uh, to be successful in country life, you need to start early, work late, and put a dog on the front cover. Dogs were a huge part of it. <laughs> and it's it's always quite fun when you find a theme that had been missing in the magazine for a long time and people uh, really enjoy it. And, you know, the magazine has changed a lot, I think, in the sort of 18 years I've been there. It has lots of themes in it that didn't exist um, back in 2006. Uh, And what's been fun is just to make sure uh, that the readers enjoy it. It's, It's an interesting thing in publishing is that, sometimes forgotten by uh, people who uh, who own these magazines uh, across the board is that you actually do need a reader before you can get an advertiser and yes. what is great about country life is that we don't seek advertising we create an environment that is proved hugely successful for advertisers yes no i think that's a uh, that's a very good point you talk about sort of um, you know how the magazine has changed during your eighteen years of leadership. Uh, without lifting up the the, the or sort of breaking the fourth wall too much, have there been any mistakes in in your editorship that you sort oh, of look back and go, question. "Oh, that was a bit of a silly idea." Um, have there been any mistakes? I'm sure there've been loads. Um, nothing too damaging. Oh, yeah, I'm not talking about sort of typos or anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, extraordinarily and. It's it's a terrible thing to sort of say because I really ought to come up with a mistake, but it seems that most things work. Um, We, you know, we now we now have interiors, we now have luxury, we now have a bid on London, we now have more travel, Um, and each one of them might not have worked. Uh, I I always sort of brought them in on a kind of light switch principle that if it didn't work, I'd turn it off very quickly. Um, I think what hasn't worked. I, I need to give you an example. Um, I you did say my um, hiring, for example, that would be that would be perfectly legitimate. Oh no, that was a dreadful error. Yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, that is the cross I have to bear. I think. I think. Get, uh, I, honestly, to be honest, I think the 
actually this, the real secret, you know, the magazine has been just incredibly successful. The real secret is employing good people, um, including yeah. you. And, oh, thank you. and I think, you know, you can't, you know, obviously as an editor, you can't do it all yourself. In fact, you can't do very much of it yourself, but it's, it's about, it's about creating an environment where everyone kind of knows what they're meant to do. Most people who've worked country life, I think, I think, I'm going to guess, but I, sh- I should think of the. There's about 20 editorial staff. I should think mo- the average length of service is probably eight to ten years. Uh, it, it's something that is rewarding, and I, ha- I, you know, I have got rid of some people in the past because I think it's really important that we just have the best because the best is not only good for the readers but it's also good for the team because you don't want anyone letting anyone down. You talk about how. Or you spoke about how Country Life is one of the the great British magazines that's been, you know, we know it's been running for the past 126 years. What do you think has been the key to that success? That 126 years success. I think the key is um, the quality of the writing, and increasingly these days, the phot- photography. Everyone, since everyone's got a mobile phone, everyone's much more picture literate than they used to be. Mm-hmm. So the pictures matter. I think it's the level of trust that the magazine has. We we don't seek to uh, do anyone down. We don't look to, you know, we look on the bright side of life. And through that, you know, people are very kind and they allow us to go and photograph their houses and their gardens. I think it's also been because it feels a niche that is part of the DNA of being British that, as we spoke about earlier, James, you know, about the love of the countryside. And most of all, it's just really good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd I'd say it's really good too. But then again, you know, I have to, otherwise you'll you'll get rid of me. Uh, Thank you, Mark, for being such a a gracious and informative guest. And uh, thanks, James. I will obviously be talking to you about this in my office afterwards. Thank you, thank you. And uh, thanks, dear listener, for joining us this week. For more information about this episode, the podcast and country life in general, please take a look at the podcast notes. We hope that you will join us again next week. Thanks and goodbye. Goodbye.